My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're going to be continuing our sermon series in the book of James this morning. Um, before we jump in, though, I um, want to pause. This is one of our celebration Sundays. If you've been around for a while, you know we like to, uh, about once a month, just pause and, and celebrate some leaders. Um, I think this is good for us because what we're doing is, is highlighting people that are that are working in ways you don't know and you don't see, but you're benefiting from their labor, right? These are people that are behind the scenes and in quiet ways, um, making sacrifices and investments and, and working diligently. And, uh, and we reap the reward. We reap the benefit of their labor. So I think, it's, I think it's good for us to acknowledge that and to say thank you. And I think it's good for them to be acknowledged and to be celebrated. Uh, we're going to be doing two this month. Last month, um, I got a little derailed, right? Um, one of my daughters... Uh, gave me the gift of a, a grandchild, and then um, I gave myself the gift of three kidney stones, and, and over the course of the month, uh, got a little distracted, and, uh, and as a result, we missed our celebration Sunday last month. So we're going to have two this morning. So I want to go ahead and invite these guys up. Uh, Amanda, if you wouldn't mind coming up, and, um, and the Hubblers, uh, come on up. Um, I'm going to introduce you to these guys because uh, we have been blessed by them. Um, I want to begin by introducing you to Amanda. You guys say hi to Amanda. Uh, Amanda served us um, by serving in Affordable Christmas. Um, how many of you guys were at Affordable Christmas, served at Affordable Christmas, uh, donated? Um, so if you were at the event, you know um, how, what a great event it was, how many moving pieces there were to it. Uh, it's a complex thing. If you don't have the right point person running that, uh, it can quickly um, turn into chaos uh, as opposed to being a well-ordered and, and well-oiled um, event. And, and Amanda uh, took the point. Um, we, we tricked her. Uh, we told her it was going to be easier than it was and it would take less effort. Uh, and it worked and she took it um, and stayed faithful. Um, not really, but you know, it, 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 we're learning as we go and, and we're incredibly thankful. And so, um, we, uh, we got her some flowers and, um, a dinner out. Yeah. Hey, you guys, can we give a round of applause and just say thank you to Amanda, uh, for real. Um, your service has blessed not just Trailhead Church, but, um, man, a lot of families. And, uh, and so I know this also, she hates being in front, um, but uh, giving us an opportunity to thank you is good for us. And so I appreciate you coming up even this morning. I'll let you go down now because you're welcome. <laughs> I decided to show mercy. So thank you. Um, all right. So I also want to introduce to you the Hubblers. Um, the Hubblers are a family that have served diligently behind the scenes um, to be a blessing to this church. Tom, um, Tom is, uh, is a guy that has invested a tremendous amount of energy and time and resources into this building. He, uh, he's the one that laid the carpet and put the floor in. Um, he's the one that when you walk in the door, that trailhead symbol right inside, that was his gift to the church. He did that. Um, he, he then became just, he just started seeing things that needed to be done before we knew they needed to be done, he started paying attention to things. He started organizing teams. Um, and, 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 and so we're like, man, you're doing this so well. We need to just make you the deacon over the building. We need to make you the building trustee. And, um, and he was like eager. Um, 
and, and, which is awesome because he's passionate about it and he's able to, to get other people who have similar passions, whether they're excited to mow the lawn or to uh, fix the plumbing. Or, um, but those things are absolutely necessi- necessities, right? For our kids to, to, to have a safe and, and, and uh, a fun environment, for us to have a place to gather, for us to be able to use this building through the week in the many ways that we use it to serve our community. Um, so we're incredibly grateful uh, that you pay attention to the things you pay attention to and that you're passionate about things you're passionate about um, and, uh, and the way you, you serve us. Um, there is a fun little plaque of the building that you are taking care of. Um, so the reason I have the whole family up here, I, I like to honor the, the entire family, but this is a time where I think it's actually uh, pretty nece- necessary they're all up here. So, so Lori, um, Lori is one of those folks that serves in critical ways on teams, um, but she's not, she hasn't, she's like behind the scenes. So she's helping other leaders succeed. And so she has been diligent on the Trailhead Kids team. Um, she has done a ton of work. She has filled in many, many gaps. She has helped organize for many, many solutions. Um, and, um, and along with Tom, uh, she is here serving and working in ways. So like when we first got the building, I show up, there's nobody else here, right? There's nothing scheduled. And these guys are down there painting. And it's not just these two, it's, it's the whole clan, right? It's the whole Hubbler clan with, with, uh, with Noah and, and Ellie and Sam, and, and they're down there working just as hard and doing just as much. Um, so I just want to honor you guys um, for modeling service, for modeling a servant's attitude and a desire to be a blessing, um, to, to, to create solutions without looking for credit, for, for trying to be a blessing in ways that it, it, are just real. Um, and so these are for you. Thank you. Yes. We got an action Bible for the kids and, um, and we got them a, uh, <laughs> a fun night at a, uh, uh, what are these things called? Escape. Oh yeah, an escape room. So they cooperate and work together so well, we thought we'd put them under stress in a simulated environment where their life is being threatened to find out if it works there too. Um, you guys give them a round of applause. Thank you. All right, you guys. All right, you guys, let's grab our Bibles while you're flipping over there. Um, This morning is Heights Church fourth anniversary. Uh, Heights Church is our daughter church down in Collinsville. We sent them out four years ago uh, to to be a blessing in Collinsville. They have been serving faithfully as um, uh, a representation of the gospel, loving people, honoring God. Um, and just growing and being a blessing down there. We're celebrating with them that they are four years old today. Uh, A group of Trailhead uh, regulars um, volunteered to go down and watch their kids today so that at their anniversary celebration, their kids' workers would be freed up to go into the celebration. Those of you who came to our seven-year celebration uh, know they did the same for us. They showed up and served our kids so that we would be freed up. And so I'm just... um, uh, really proud of those guys. They did that on their own, and so if they're listening to this podcast, um, I want them to know that we have honored them, uh, that they are representing Trailhead Church well as they are serving Heights Church, our daughter church, well, uh, and we're incredibly grateful both for them and for Heights and celebrate the grace of God in them. All right, this morning we're heading over to the book of James, so grab your Bibles, uh, open up to the book of James. We're going to chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. We're going to page 1011 in our Bibles. James. James is calling us to live in the tension between the two kingdoms. 
right? He, his book is written to the 12 tribes um, in the dispersion. He's writing to first century Jewish Christians that have been pushed out of Jerusalem because of persecution. They're living in, in Syria and northern Palestine, and, and, and they're living in the tension of, of the suffering of this age with the hope of the blessing of the age to come, right? They're living in this world, but they're learning to live by the values and the principles of the world to come, right? They're, they're living in this tension of the already not yet um, tension of, 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 of the kingdom, right? That, that the, the victory's already been won, but the kingdom hasn't yet been fully realized, right? That the kingdom is already here, but it's not yet fully realized. And so as a result, he's writing to people just like us, who are learning how to do life in this world and also learning how to live by faith in, in, the, in, the, in the king of the world to come, that we will be living by the principles of the world to come, right? And, 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 and his primary purpose is to call us out of worldliness. Now, we've talked a lot about this in previous weeks, and I'm going to keep beating this drum because when we think of worldliness, we often think of problems out there. We, we tend to think of evils out there that we need to protect ourselves from, and, and that's not biblical. That's not the biblical definition of worldliness. Worldliness is the human propensity to try to get the blessing of God apart from the presence of God. Worldliness is, is, is our attempt to get the fullness of God in ways God doesn't give it. It's our attempt to be like God, to be independent from God, to mark the boundaries of our own prosperity, the boundaries of our own glory, to, to work for our own security, uh, to accomplish uh, our own ends on our own time. It is our way of trying to get the blessing of God apart from humble dependence on God as an expression of pride, right, worldliness. And so James is calling us out of the worldliness that so easily besets us. And we saw last week when Aaron unpacked um, the passage uh, that, that, that we saw why this is so difficult, right? Because as he showed us, the traitor um, isn't out there. The real threat isn't out there. It's in here, right? We talked last week about how we are seduced by our own desires, right? Our, our greatest enemy isn't out there. It's in here. It's this, it's this wanter in me that wants God's blessing in ways God doesn't give it, the fullness of life without the presence of God, right? It is this, the desires of my heart. And, and, and when I give those desires my heart, when I give those desires my hands, it becomes sin. And when sin is fully realized in my life, it becomes death. Death, by its, its nature, is separation, right? When we die physically, we don't cease to exist. Our, our, our spiritual being is separated from our physical being, right? When Adam and Eve um, sinned in the garden, they died. They, they didn't physically cease to exist. They were separated from God, the source of life. Death is separation. And so, so when we give way to our worldly desires, when we do life on our terms and our way, apart from, from submission to God, when we do this, it results in sin that results in death, separation, it brings separation into our closest relationships. It brings separation into our, uh, it separates us from, from our spouses and our kids. It separates us from, from our joy uh, in our accomplishments. It separates us from the security that should be ours. It separates us from, from peace with God and joy with others and, and, and even peace with ourselves. Worldliness. Worldliness is our attempt to get God's blessing apart from God's plan. And the challenge is you can't. You just can't get God's blessing without the presence of God. That's, that's why our desires are so deceptive. That's why they seduce us and deceive us, because they offer what they cannot 
provide. And, and so James, in the book of James, is progressively pulling back the curtain and showing us our propensity toward worldliness, right? The book of James is like a series of gut punches because he's just over and over like, well, here it is again, and, and here it is again. This is where you are tempted to try to do life apart from God. Here's where you are tempted to try to get the blessing of God apart from the presence of God. And that's, gonna, that's exactly where we're going this morning. Um, I was tempted to name this week's sermon, How Can I Be Wrong When I Feel So Right? Um, let's read the text and we'll figure out why. All right, we're looking at James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses, I'm going to read the entire section, James 1, 19 through 27. I did decide this week to actually split this portion into two sermons. Um, and, and so we're going to hit the first part this week. Next week, uh, we're going to Romans because we're, 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 it's Palm Sunday next Sunday and then Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. So we're going to be sitting in Romans um, 4 and 5 um, for, for Palm Sunday and, and Easter Sunday. To, and I invite you to come out, man. What a great celebration for us as we consider the resurrection of Jesus and, and the hope of the world, right? Uh, but the week after that, we'll be coming back to this passage and finishing this up. Sorry, right, I'm going to begin in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all of his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, guys. So our first verse um, is just some good old good advice. I mean, it's really just some good advice. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Um, The reason this is good advice is because it's the exact opposite of what we normally do, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we're generally fairly slow to listen, pretty quick to speak, and, and very quick to take offense, and very quick to get angry. Um, this, is, this is what ends up happening and, and in, 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 in close relationships. When I do, when I'm helping people with conflict resolution, when I get two people, and it happens in the church, I know it's surprising, when you get two people that are very, very different, who think differently, maybe they're trying to achieve the same end, but, but they just get to a point where they start mistrusting each other. They get to a point where they start uh, judging the motives of the other person and thinking they're just, they're just out to get them or undermine them or rob them of their glory or to, to make them feel stupid or whatever. And, and, and pretty soon you have two people trying to go in the same direction, but all of their energy is spent in this tension between them. And, and so what we do in conflict resolution is, is, is we try to teach them how to communicate again because they've lost that, that art. When I sit down with a, a married couple that is, that is intractably in, in conflict, 80% of the solution a lot of times is teaching them simply how to communicate again, right? And so what we do is, is we lay down some rules, right? And so we'll have two people sit down and we're like, okay, you're going to speak and you're going to listen. Like, no, for real, you're not going to talk. You're, you're going to listen. No, you get your turn. 
You'll get to talk and they have to listen to you. Okay? But here's another rule. While they're talking, you're not going to sit there and, and, and be listening in order to create your rebuttal. You're not just going to be listening to, oh, I can use that phrase against them. Oh, they use that word. I can, I can turn that again. No, no, no. That, that's, that's not what's happening here. You're not going to be listening in order to rebut or to speak. You're going to be listening to understand, right? Because at the end of it, you have to say back to them what you think they're trying to say to you, right? You, you have to, in your own words, you have to listen so carefully that in your own words, you're saying back to them what you think they're saying to you, and they have to look at you and say, yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to say, right? So you can't subtly twist their words. You can't subtly embed your counter-arguments. In, that's not the, the point is to listen to understand, to listen to honor, right? And so, as they go through this process, as you can imagine, it's an incredibly difficult one, um, not because listening itself is that hard, but because our anger makes our ears not work, right? We hear what we expect to hear. We hear the words we've put in their mouth. We hear the arguments that we think we already understand. And so we shut down the listening process and, and, and just assume we already know, and we're already ready with our rebuttal. So it's like, all right, fine, I'll listen. I already know what you're going to say. All right, so this is what happens, you guys. When you go through this process with, with integrity, a lot of times you're 80% toward the solution because you'll have people say, man, I, for the first time maybe in years, I feel heard. Like, I feel you, like you, you actually heard me. I feel like you actually see me. I feel like you actually respect me. I, man, I feel honored. You get there? Man, usually the rest of it, it's just rearranging the stuff on the table, right? It's, it's getting through the trust issues. It's getting so, so this is really good advice when it comes to, to, um, to learning to communicate, because, because here's the thing, our natural inclination is not to do this. Um, it takes work to listen. You have to learn how to do it. It takes work to cool our anger and to step away from our offense. Um, it is natural to take offense for us and to use our words to defend and defeat, right? I'm going to defend myself and I'm going to defeat you. Some of you do it out loud and some of you just do it in your head. You know which one you are, right? You'll end up creating this monologue inside your head that you never actually say, but you're working very, very carefully on your arguments and, and all the rest of it, right? It's very natural for us to defend and seek to defeat when we feel threatened, when we feel hurt, when we feel, uh, you know, we just shut down the hearing and go straight to speaking. And, and, um, and you guys, we, this is a cultural thing too. It's not just interpersonal, it's cultural. We see this celebrated all the time on social media, right? Uh, you see it in the owned videos. You know what I'm talking about, the owned videos, when well, it's a meme or a video that people love to repost, and it's like, man, Ben Shapiro just totally owned this neo-feminist atheist, right? And we're like, yeah, he totally shut her down. Or it's like, man, J.K. Rowling just totally shut down this conservative troll. And we take so much joy when, 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 when somebody has the perfect words, at the perfect time, 
to make someone we don't like feel like dirt. Don't we love that? It's like we feel vindicated. I could have never come up with that argument, but I'm glad you did. I would have never thought about that in the moment, but I'm glad you did because I get to vicariously live in this moment of triumph. They make me so mad. They annoy me. They, and so we take joy in shutting them down. You guys, we love it. Listen to me, listen to me. Whether it's in your marriage or your parenting or your friendships or or your presence on social media, this is worldly. This is an attempt to defeat and silence our perceived enemies instead of honor and listen to people created in the image of God. It is worldly. It is our attempt to get the blessing of God apart from the way God gives his blessing. It is our way of saying, I will be victorious. I will win. Right? I, don't, I, I can't quote a verse where Jesus ever said, defeat and silence your enemy. But I'm pretty confident I can think of one that says, love your enemy. You guys, it's pretty obvious. This is not a holy impulse. It is not good for our souls. Listen, you don't win when they lose. You lose too. You both lose. Because it is not good for your soul to rejoice in the silencing of your perceived enemy. It is not godly. It might feel good. But that feeling you have are the desires of your heart to be victorious, to dominate, to silence, to eradicate people that are enemies of... It is not good. It is worldly. It is not good for you. It's not good for you to get comfortable with your anger. That's a really unhealthy thing to do spiritually. To get to a place where, where your anger is your friend, where your anger comfortable where you just feel comfortable in this position of offense here's the thing with anger you guys it always feels justified doesn't it you ever get angry and and be like i feel so unjustified in my anger right now ever ever it really the angrier you get the more justified you feel in it right it's like when you're really raging you are in that moment the most confident that you are the embodiment of the righteousness of god If you just would have done this thing, if you just would have taken care of this, if you would have just kept your word, if you would have just, and it feels so good, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. There is something about a good rage that feels good to the soul because you feel so right. And it feels good to be right. It feels good when I feel like I have the high ground and And man, you have just messed up. That's why uh, James goes on (laughs) in verse 20 and says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You guys, it, it may feel right, but you need to not trust your feelings. For real. Because it feels right, but it's not right. You feel so justified and you are so not justified. And you often realize that once your head clears and the anger passes. That's usually when you have to kind of humble yourself and go, go, you know, a little humble pie. 
Like, oh man, I'm sorry. Kind of flew off the handle. Sorry about that, right? You got to humble yourself. But in the moment, man, it just feels so right. But I want you to see something in this passage. Uh, James is doing more than just talking about interpersonal conflict. He pushes it one step further. I don't know if you noticed this. He's not just saying that your anger isn't holy. He's saying that your holy anger isn't holy. The anger of man does not achieve what? The righteousness of God. You know that offense that you take for God? When you get all offended because somebody is an offense to God or, or you get, man, they're just in opposition to God. They're just, they're just wrong before God. They're attacking Christian things. They're undermining Christian values. And I take offense for God. You know that righteous anger? It's not righteous. You guys, we love it when the people we perceive as our enemies get shut down, but when you've decided that your enemies are God's enemies, that's downright dangerous. Because you won't rejoice just in their being shut down. You will actually feel like God is smiling on you. Even as you say and do things that are despicably evil, you will feel justified I am the very hammer of God to silence you and remove your presence from the face of Facebook. The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Ironically, some think that Christian maturity is in some way measured by being angry about the right things. In fact, there's a whole branch of, of American evangelicalism that, that basically their whole thing is maturity is being offended by the right things that are offensive. Being angry about the right things that you should be angry about, right? And, and, when, they, and when they get all bold, which is really them just being abrasive, we're like, man, look at them stand up for their faith. They got the perfect words at the perfect time. They silence the perfect people. They're so bold for Jesus. No, they're not. They're ridiculously abrasive. And it leads people, in the name of Jesus, to celebrate the defeat of their perceived enemy instead of actually following Jesus by loving their perceived enemy. They do the very thing Jesus told them not to do in the name of Jesus. And they feel ridiculously justified in doing it. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. But Steve, didn't, didn't Jesus get angry? Didn't, didn't Jesus go in and like kick over a bunch of tables in the, in the temple and create whips and like hit people? And yeah, yeah, he, he did. You, you are absolutely right. There is such a thing as righteous anger, but it isn't yours. Steve, how can you say that? How do you know that? Because listen to me, you know, people ask me, Steve, are you saying there's no hill worth dying on? Aren't there hills worth dying on? Don't we need to stand for truth? To which I reply, absolutely, there are hills worth dying on, but I think you're looking for a hill to kill on. You're not looking to die. You're looking for justification to kill. You want to know how we know if our righteous anger isn't righteous? 
Think about this. Jesus' anger wasn't personal. Jesus wasn't in there kicking over tables because he felt insulted or threatened. He wasn't in there kicking over tables because he felt like his privilege or, or his, his, his position or like, like people were infringing on his rights. That wasn't, he was doing it because they had created an artificial barrier between hurting people and God. They were selling things that were keeping people in poverty from actually drawing near to God in their need. And he's like, you guys are creating an artificial barrier to the grace of God. And in righteous anger, removed that barrier. It was not about personal offense. It was about God's grace and people's need. And while he was doing it, his heart broke for the very people he drove out of the temple. He loved them. And his heart broke for them. How do I know that? Because he then went and died for them. He found a hill to die on. Because he loved them. Listen to me. If you can be angry like that and love like that, maybe you're getting close to righteous anger. But James is warning us. That's a trap. That self-justified feeling you get at being angry is deceptive and seductive. It is your desire seeking to tie you in and make you sin that ultimately produces death in your life and in the life of others. Listen to me, maturity isn't about taking strong stand for truth. Christian maturity is not about taking strong stands for truth. It's not about silencing the perceived enemy. It, it is not about being abrasive and calling it boldness. That will get you applause from men. That will get you applause from people who think like you and love that you have a sharp wit and a quick tongue and can put silence people they wish they could, right? It'll get you the applause of men, but it will not get you the applause of God. Listen to me. Maturity isn't about taking strong stands for truth. Maturity. You want to know the measure of Christian maturity? It's humility. The humblest person in this room is the most spiritual person in this room, and they probably don't even know it's them. Humility. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You want to know who has the deepest and most profound experience of grace in this room, the most mature person in Christ in this room? It's the person who carries the greatest humility. Humility is the measure of maturity. Not how much you know, not how many people you can defeat, not how many you can silence, not how many people pat you on the back for your bold faith. humility. And listen to me, it is that humility that becomes, it really is the only way you can defeat the worldly impulses of your heart. That worldly impulse that James is calling out in our hearts, the only way we can defeat it is by pushing into humility. He goes on to the next verse and says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. We're going to talk about this. That's gentle humility. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's talk first about this all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. I don't know about you, but when I read phrases like that, I just like automatically import the meaning. Like, like when I think of things that are evil and rampantly wicked, there are things out there. And it, you know, it's human trafficking. It's 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 sexual abuse. It's it's um, it, it is all these forms of injustice. It is it is you know what I'm saying like these all these things, man. That's that that right there. So put those things away from you. That's what he's saying, right? But in the context, is he talking about the things out there? 
No. He's talking about the evil in here. He's not talking about the bad things out there. He's talking about our tendency to deceive ourselves about our own rightness. He's talking about our tendency to see uh, enemies to be defeated instead of people to be loved. He's talking about our tendency to be religiously self-righteous. He is talking about religion that is about being offended at the right things, defending the right agenda, silencing the right people. A religion that is not about listening, not about humbly meeting what they are and, and meet, understanding their experience and understanding their hurts and understand, even if I disagree with their agenda, it's not, no, 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 no. That, this religion is not about meeting people where they are and listening to them to understand them. It's about speaking quickly and loudly and being offended and angry in the name of God. This is filthiness and rampant wickedness. It is worldly religion. It is the enemy of our souls. Now, he says, put away these things, right? Literally, what that means is remove like a cloak, which I think is a pretty powerful metaphor because we really like to clothe ourselves in self-righteousness. Don't we? We, like to, we like to wear it. When we're angry and we feel so justified in being angry, and when, when we're, when we're you know, condemning people because we know God condemns them too, that becomes this cloak of protection and self-righteousness. It just makes us feel so good. And James is like, take off the cloak. Take off the cloak. It's tempting. It's alluring. It's seducing. Take it off. It will kill you. It is the enemy of your soul. Take it off. Man, it feels good to be self-righteous. It'll get you the praise of men. But James says, man, instead receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Meekness. See, meekness is how we take hold of this. There are two words for humility that are actually more than two, but two prominent ones in the New Testament. The first one means lowly, like low to the ground. Um, that's not the word used here, but that's a powerful image, right? Because the pride, prideful lift themselves up. They like to be above people, like to compare themselves to others and feel superior to them. The, whole, the lowly, the humble are close to the ground, which we tend to think of, well, that means they're rolling in the dirt. No, what it means is it's clo- they're close to their strength. They're well-grounded. They're not fragile. They're not easily offended. They're not easily uh, put off. They're humble. They're low to the ground, right? The word that's used here, though, James uses it particularly because it means specifically a gentle humility, meekness. And he's using it in contrast to worldly religion, which is anything but gentle. Worldly religion is all about having the right truth and judging the right people, He's saying, man, there is an attribute you need to foster in your heart, and it's this meekness. It is this gentle humility. A man of God isn't puffed up in self-righteousness. He is grounded in the strength of his humility. He's not faking it. He's not fostering. He's not, he's not posturing. He's not trying to get the praise of men to make himself feel good or important. Or He is, he is grounded in, in, in his identity in Christ, in the love of God. 
And we, and we are to approach God in this humility. Why? Because it has the power to save our souls. It has the power to save our souls. Now, when we think of this phrase, the power to save our souls, a lot of times we think of this, you know, when I die and my soul goes to heeven and I'm standing at the pearly gates and I'm kind of like, hey, 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 feeling a little exposed out here. And he's like, yeah, 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 come on in, I'll save your soul. Right? You're welcome. Right? James isn't using it like that. He's not talking about some future time when your soul is delivered. The, the word soul for him indicates all of human life. So he's talking about everything from here to that point. So another way to translate this would be, this has the power to deliver your life. You need to do this because it has the power to deliver your life. Deliver it from what? From your worldly impulses of self-destruction. To deliver it from your tendency to try to do life apart from God, to get the blessings of God without the presence of God, your attempt to achieve your own righteousness, manifest your own glory, secure your own security. No, no, no. This is going to deliver your life into the very presence and blessing of God. This is going to give you the very things you're trying to get outside of the presence of God in the presence of God. It will deliver your life into the fullness of life. It'll deliver you into the full blessings that you have secured in Christ, where you are no longer your worst enemy, blocking yourself from your greatest love. It will deliver your life. Self-righteous anger will lead you down a path of worldliness, and in that path, you will become unstable, fragile, and your relationships will be marked by separation, death. You need to receive the implanted word. All right, so this is the phrase that, that is the anchor of this entire section. This is everything James is trying to drive to. And for us to understand what this means, we need to answer two questions. The first is, what is the implanted word? And the second is, how do we receive it? What does that mean to receive it? Especially since it's already implanted, right? If it's already implanted, what does it mean to receive something that's already been implanted, right? So, so what is it? And how do we receive it? Well, first of all, what is it? Remember, James is a first century Jewish reader, uh, writer writing to first century Jewish Christians. And so he is thoroughly, um, his mind is thoroughly shaped by his training in the Torah, in the old covenant law. And his readers would be too. And that allows him to make very subtle references to things in the Old Testament that they would pick right up on, but we would just completely miss because we're not shaped in the same way by that education. We don't think so thoroughly as they do. This is actually a reference to Jeremiah chapter 31, right? To the, to the promise of the new covenant. If you were here at the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018, we did the promise sermon series. This was actually the final sermon series, the final sermon of that series when we came to the new covenant. It was kind of the culmination of all the sermons that, that were working toward it. I want to put it back up on the screen and read it again. Because this is, what, this is what James is referring to. And he's speaking to Jewish, um, New Testament Jewish believers, New Covenant believers, um, and they would understand the history he's referencing. He says, Behold, the days are coming. So Jeremiah, speaking to, to people under the Old Covenant, Jewish believers, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. There he's talking about the, the Ten Commandments and, and the Mosaic Law that came down from the top of the mountain after uh, Moses went and met with God and, and the nation of Israel agreed to this, to this covenant, right? Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Man, what a promise. What a promise. He's saying, man, unlike the Mosaic Covenant, which came down in these tablets of stone, there were these rules that towered above us that condemned us and told us how we didn't measure up but gave us no ability to change. All they did was show us all the ways we fall short without giving us any ability to fix the problem. And, and, and God gave those to the nation of Israel to drive them to despair because it's only in despair that we'll take hold of grace. It's only in despair that we'll stop asking for God for help and start asking him for grace, right? So he's like, God gave the Mosaic Covenant to drive his people to grace. He's like, man, there's going to come a day where I'm going to give a new covenant to my people. And in that covenant, instead of these laws inscribed on stone, I'm going to give them a law inscribed on their heart. Instead of it being cold stone, external, condemning, it's going to be internal and relational. Now, God didn't write, you know, 10 commandments on your heart or 630 some odd commands that are in the Old Testament Torah. What did he write on your heart? What's the law that he put on your heart? Well, he put the heart of it. He put the thing in your heart that actually will help you become the fulfillment of the law. Now, remember, following God isn't about changing your behavior. God's goal isn't to get you to stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. That's not God's goal. God's goal is to get you to start loving the things that are worthy of love. To love the things that are beautiful and honorable and and holy and just. Because when we love the right things, we will do the right things. When we are driven and gripped by the right passions, our behavior will flow out of those passions. It will transform our behavior and not just conform it. What's written on your heart? The very love of God. The gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. Jeremiah 31 is good news. That good news has been imprinted on your heart. Well, God says to you, I am a God of steadfast love, rich in mercy. I'm a covenant God who loves you unconditionally. I have solved your greatest problem and paid your greatest debt. Will you be loved by me? Will you receive my love? Will you respond to my love? Will you trust my love, which we call faith? God writes that love on our hearts. And that that writing, that embedded love of God is like a seed. And like a good seed, it grows. And when it grows, it changes me, right? Like a seed that's planted under a sidewalk. Man, that sidewalk's got no hope. (laughs) That tree is going to buckle it and break it and demolish it. The seed is going to demolish the hard outer shell of our worldliness, our determination to do life apart from God, our mistrust of the love of God, our fear of rejection of God, where our shame becomes more loud in our ears than than the gospel, the good news of the sacrifice and, and raise Christ. He embeds within us the power of transformation, the very power of resurrection. 
Now here's the thing that James is kind of pushing into. So the gospel embeds within us the love of God, the good word of the gospel that, that can transform us. And, and here's the thing. We can either work with that process or we can work against it. We can either train our hearts in humility and dependence to respond to God's grace, to respond to God's love, to stay amazed and undone by an unfathomable love. Or we can embrace our worldliness and try to do our Christian lives in our own power, in our own way, on our own terms, marking the boundaries of our own glory, establishing the time frame of our own course. And James is saying, man, you've got to reject it. You've got to take it off like a cloak. You've you got to push in. You have to receive. So to receive here, to receive the embedded word, to receive the word that has been planted in you, then it means not just to believe the gospel to get your ticket to heaven. It means to keep believing the gospel so that it can unleash its power in your life. It means to... Re- that in order to receive the power of grace, we need to keep responding to the power of love. It can't simply be about religious behavior, going to church to be a good person, doing the right thing so I can feel good about myself, trying to earn my way back into the presence of God. It can't simply be about cleaning up my life and rearranging the furniture of my heart. It needs to be about actually responding to the love of God. Like, Like actually being undone by grace. We need to believe the gospel and keep believing the gospel. We need to keep receiving that love. We need to stop performing for God. We need to stop performing for the the applause of men. We need to stop trying to impress ourselves and impress others. We need to set aside the filthy power structures of the corrupt church of this age And instead, we need to respond to the love of God. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of sermon series, you know that we unpacked this idea called the three G's, right? It's very simply that God initiates in grace. We respond in gratitude. That pushes us into growth, which pushes us back into our need of grace. That's exactly what James is pushing into. God has embedded in us his initiation of love and then calls us to respond in faith, which is just us saying, I trust you more than I trust myself right? And then as we move in trust, that frees us into humility and joy. We call that gratitude. And that profound experience of gratitude then propels me into new experiences of submission and growth. It allows me to move into areas of discomfort, of change, areas that are kind of scary and hard for me, but I'm propelled in my gratitude. God loves me this much. It pushes me into the areas of growth. And as I do it, man, it reawakens my desperate need for grace. I'm out of my league here. I'm out of my depth. I can't do this on my own. It pushes me back into a renewed experience of grace, which awakens a deeper and more profound experience of gratitude, which pushes me out into new experiences of growth. James is saying, man, keep receiving the power of the embedded word. Do not grow cold to the love of God. Do not settle for religious performance. Do not clothe yourself with your fake religious pedigrees that get you the praise of men, but alienate you from God. Make it real. Let's make it real. Because when you do, man, you're not going to want to kill people that God loves. 
you're not going to want to silence people just because they make you uncomfortable. You're going to see them through grace. As somebody who desperately needed grace and came to the feast of grace, I see in you also someone deeply in need of grace. I will see your broken humanity and my heart will break for your need of the love of God. And instead of judging you and seeking to silence you, I will love you and call you to the table. Because my primary goal won't be to defend myself or build my own kingdom or establish my own glory. It will be to feast more deeply on the grace of God. And I feast more deeply on the grace of God when I invite you to the feast. It's me responding to God's love. And listen to me, it will save your soul. It will deliver your life. It will bring you into the fullness of life and all of its blessing. All right, you guys, I'm going to close this with a prayer. I'm going to put some response questions up on the screen, ask you to just pray and allow God to speak to your heart. And um, we're going to share communion together in a moment. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you model this. <laughs> you are the embodiment. Man, we, we rejected your presence. Man, we, we lie about you daily in our own hearts. We say you're not trustworthy. We say you're not a good father. We, we don't think you're going to provide for our needs or protect us against our threats. Man, we, we doubt your, your power. We doubt the intentions of your heart. We, we, we are fearful and self-protective and self-glorying. And Lord, you are quick to hear the woundedness of our hearts, the sorrow that, 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 that is, just surrounds us in this life. You, you meet us in this place of pain. You are slow to speak because your presence speaks everything. It speaks love. It speaks acceptance. It speaks grace. And you are slow to anger because you poured out your judgment on Jesus that we might be accepted as Jesus. Our Savior was our substitute in judgment so that we could be his brothers and sisters in blessing. Lord, will you allow this message of grace to simply undo our pride and renew a heart of trust and dependence on you? We will allow us, Lord, the grace to see through the deceptions of this world, of this culture, to not be taken in by the seductive lies of our flesh, of our, of our worldliness, to just humbly, meekly, gently be loved. And in being loved to be changed. And in being changed to be set free. Lord, meet us where we are. And take us where we could never go on our own. For your glory and for our good. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.